This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. Welcome back to another episode of Startup Renegades. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Doug Ludlow, one of the co-founders of Main Street. He grew up in Modesto, an agricultural town in Central California, and despite Modesto's proximities to Silicon Valley, the city is almost entirely cut off from the technology industry, which is the economic engine of the 21st century. Doug helped start Main Street in part to bring back good jobs and upward mobility to the people living in his hometown. Main Street takes a holistic approach to small business management so you can grow your business smarter, not harder. They are starting with government tax credits, which your accountant is actually really going to love. And so are you. The business concept was so cool and I really loved hearing about it. But I also really loved just hearing about Doug's journey. He started a moderately successful company. He had other companies that failed and he just kept picking himself up and learning from those experiences and going on to the next thing better and stronger than before. And now with Main Street, Doug and his co-founders are really making a difference for the people that need it most, the small business owners like you and me. So he's got some very specific marketing and growth advice, which I love. We are in episode 89 and I was telling Doug after the episode, I have never heard this one before. So you're going to want to listen in, learn that specific growth strategy that Doug is using in his referral marketing that helps him take things to the next level and grow this company. I loved it. You're going to as well. This is Doug Ludlow and Main Street. Hey, Doug. So happy to be here today. Thrilled to be here. All right. So let's start at the very beginning of your journey. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, when I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a astronaut and I don't know, maybe a movie star for a while, but I've always actually been an entrepreneur. So that is one thing that's remained constant as I changed back and forth from you know football player to astronaut to president. <laughs> you know, I started by running a small uh, lawn mowing business in mm-hmm. my, uh, my neighborhood, sold candy. And so I guess in in different ways, I've always actually been an entrepreneur, even as I you know, wanted to be a rock star or a fireman at different times. I love it when you're an entrepreneur, but you didn't know it, right? Like that was just who you were. So what did you go to college for? What were you thinking your career trajectory was going to be? That's a great question. When I started uh, college, I thought I'd go to law school. Mm-hmm. I think partially because I didn't know really what attorneys did, but partially because I like to talk. I like public service and law and these things. And so I studied history and political science and economics, which are mm-hmm. you know kind of the generic things you do if you want to go to law school. But even in college, I continued my entrepreneurial exploration. I started a textbook import business that would import textbooks from overseas. We'd be able to sell them for a lot lower in the United States. 
And so even in college, I continued, like, I actually think when I look back on college, I think less about my studies and more about, A, my friends and clubs, but actually the textbook import business was a huge part of my junior and senior year. Just hearing the word import, I feel like that was very ambitious of you to be doing in college. Anything where you're importing stuff is quite the undertaking. So what happened when you got out of college? What did you do with yourself? For about a year, I went and worked as a speechwriter for the Lieutenant Governor of California. This okay. is where I was still you know, actually interested in, in law school. I didn't know exactly where I was going to go. But then I very quickly teamed up with a close friend from college, one of my best friends now, uh, Johan Munasinga. He's actually the CEO of a company called InKind, fantastic mm-hmm. company that's just killing it right now. But we started a small, I hesitate to call it company, but almost <laughs> a, a startup, if you will, that tried to do a couple different things. None of it really ever worked, but we were part of the very first class of tech stars way back when in 2006. So I'm dating myself here a little bit. <laughs> That's so cool though. So you talked a little bit about like starting this business with him, but what was the business, right? Like how do you go from your writing gig to there's this problem that I must solve and I'm going to launch a business to do it? That's a great question. So and it actually does tie into my job. So back at the time in, in 2006, mm-hmm. there were massive protests uh, in downtown LA, which is actually where I worked over immigration. And it was during the Bush administration. There was all sorts of controversy at the time. And I remember reading that the people I could see outside my office, and there were hundreds of thousands, uh, had coordinated at the time using text message and MySpace to get there. Well, there's many of them. MySpace. I know. Seriously. (laughs) I thought, hey, what if you put these two things together? What if you had a way on your phone to send out a mass blast to a bunch of people who might be interested you know, coordinating? And we ended up coming with a product that looked a lot like the first version of Twitter. Wow. Okay. And so it was funny. Some of the Twitter employees actually used our product at the, the South by they blew up on. It was an interesting uh, and actually, I think, prescient idea at the time. We just had no idea how to execute whatsoever. So that's uh, yeah. if I had the same observation now, I think we'd be able to put up, make a good run for it. But at the time, it was us. We had no money, no idea what we're doing. Uh, in some ways, the most fun I've ever had. In some ways, it was a project that was almost doomed for failure since we didn't really know what we were doing. Man, I love to hear the startup story, though, because a couple things really stood out to me there, right? Like, we're almost doomed for failure, (laughs) but we didn't know it. I'm sure there was so much that you learned from that experience, but also you said it's like the most fun that I've ever had. And I am one of those people, like, business can't always be fun, but you shouldn't be hating what you're doing in life either. (laughs) So if that's what the startup experience is for you, it's just that, you know, it's an experience. And obviously, you got something out of it because because you're where you are today. Talk to me a little bit about being in the first class of tech stars. So this was, I think, a year after Y Combinator had debuted. I think Y Combinator was 2005. Mm-hmm. And David Cohen, who is the founder of Techstars, along with a few other uh, partners, you know, David had this idea for, hey, can you... I don't think he copied directly. He didn't copy Y Combinator directly, but it was more of a, can you start creating this entrepreneurial community in somewhere other than Silicon Valley. And so he started with his thesis that you could turn Boulder, Colorado into a great place to accelerate startup businesses, right? It's a great place to live. It's like the most educated city in the country. And so did a very similar model to what they did in YC, but, you know, 10 companies, myself included, we moved to Colorado for a year at the time. 
so the program was only three months. And a lot of those companies actually did not succeed. But again, it was super fun. Everyone was super passionate. We learned a ton. It was Techstars at the time rented a half a floor from an advertising firm. They now have this big, beautiful office in Boulder and other places, thousands of like companies. Like it was really interesting to see that how it grew. But I think Techstars always remained you know, kind of true to its uh, it still feels like the same organization now, 16 years later, just truly scaled. So it was really a pleasure to be part of it. And part of that first class, there's a lot of people who are now uh, pretty successful entrepreneurs in their own right. You know, you have Josh Fraser, who's the uh, founder of Origin Protocol, Aaron mm-hmm. Kallenberg, who's now the CEO of uh, the Alaska Salmon Company, uh, Johan, my partner, who's now in-kind capital. You had Matt Galligan, who is Circa a few years back, like a really impressive group of people, none of whom knew what we were doing at the time. But I think we've all built a network that's remained durable and really gone on to do something cool. I mean, that's just part of the experience too. Obviously you learn a lot, but you build a really strong network. And just to say about Techstars, my husband's in the military. We don't live in Colorado anymore, but we lived in Colorado Springs for seven years. So whatever their vision was for Boulder, you can see that clearly in the Boulder of today. Like they created that impact because Boulder is a huge startup hub being outside of Denver. I think a lot of times people think of different startup hubs, like maybe Nashville or Miami, you know, Austin is up and coming, but Boulder still retains that spirit still to this day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Denver, Boulder, in some ways, are the same ecosystem, but they're both very different. You have in Denver a lot of the larger scaled companies. And Boulder, it's this weird place with, you know, 100,000 people and an enormous amount of like engineering PhDs and startups per capita, probably the highest startups per capita anywhere in the in the country. And it was really a blast. I, I try to make it back every few years. Yeah, it's amazing. So what happened from here? You said this company was amazing, great experience, but doomed to fail. And you've moved on to some bigger, successful things. So tell me about that. Yeah. Doomed to failure is a, it was looking back, it was absolutely true. But from there, I was able to roll into a a role as a a senior PM at a pretty successful startup that was based in LA. It was called Social Vibe at the time. It was now called TrueX. It was acquired by Fox and spun out a couple times and just learned a ton there, made a bunch of great friends, got deeply embedded into the LA startup scene, which was nowhere near what it was, what it is now, right? You had LA Tech Week just a few weeks back. That really was the kind of the explosion of the tech scene that you had uh, already started with a bunch of great companies like Snap, but you know, learned a ton there and then decided to start another company. And this was a company that eventually became uh, Hipster, which was my first successful company. This was a location-based photo sharing company, kind of like an early Instagram, an early Instagram competitor that was largely (laughs) location-based, right? So you go and send a photo from a location, then you'll also be able to see the photos sent from that location as well. It was uh, actually inspired by my first trip to Italy, Mm. being in in, Rome uh, in the the ruins and going how cool it would be to see thousands of years later snapshots from uh, then. And if you could start building that infrastructure now, it was semi-successful, I'll I'll say that, because with a a social app to be truly successful, you need to be Instagram scale. You need to be enormous. Right. You know, we had a few million users in the end, and we had an acquisition by AOL. So it was a, a good exit, but nowhere near what you'd see from an Instagram. Instagram still is largely now even 
more influential than Facebook itself, the company that bought it. Yeah, it is. But that was, again, that was the journey, a first taste of like kind of riding a wild viral growth, riding press attention, and a a nice exit that made everyone happy at the end. All right. So how did you get to Main Street? So Main Street, a few ups and downs along the way, started a company that did not succeed after my time at AOL. It was a a company that dealt with home services, but we were aqua-hired. And if anyone tells you an aqua-hire is a good exit, I was just being nice, right? An aqua-hire is really the company fails but you get jobs, which is still, by the way, not a bad thing. So we were uh, acqui-hired by Google, uh, and I spent about four years at Google working first on the home services ad unit, since it was something I was now an expert in. But I then spent most of my time as uh, chief of staff for Google's small business ad unit. So it was a huge $17 billion ad unit, 15 million small businesses learned a ton. But the most important thing where I was, I met my two co-founders from Main Street. So Dan Lindquist, who's a PM, and uh, Daniel Griffin, who's a, an engineer. Three of us got along really well, hung out a lot outside of work, at work, barbecued brisket in my backyard a lot. And we very quickly realized we had a shared interest in, or like shared concern over what we viewed was a growing inequality. And by that, I mean an inequality of jobs, of wealth, of education. that was most visible between, let's say, wealthy areas like San Francisco and New York and suburban rural communities. You know, I grew up in a city called Modesto, is in the middle of central California, the economy there's really been shipped away over the last 40 years. And I wanted to start a company that could really help the people of my hometown get reconnected with great jobs and great opportunity. And you know, I thought there's no better way to do that than by supporting small businesses. And you know, after a lot of prep, a lot of discussions, a lot of iterations, that's where Main Street was born. We all left Google to on this mission to help create jobs and opportunity. And that was nearly three years ago at this time. It's been a kind of a wild ride ever since. Hey, it's Shauna here. I want to take a quick break from this amazing episode to send a free resource your way. Starting up is hard. Whether you're bootstrapping or you've got some funding behind you, you don't always know exactly where to start. I want to fix that. You head to startuprenegades.com right now. You can claim your free business benchmark blueprint. That's a mouthful. It's going to help you set a plan in place so you can create your foundation for growth. And it's free, so why not? Head to startuprenegades.com right now and grab yours. Yeah, so you're talking about some really high-level problems that you're trying to solve. And I love your thought process and your approach to it. But what was the specific solution? What does Main Street do that's a moat, that's so unique, that solves this problem? So Main Street, at its core, our long-term vision is to help a small business with every aspect of its finances. If you've ever run a, a small business, you know just how complicated running your own finances can be taxes, Mm -hmm. banks, loans. It's a mess. So that's where we're going. But we decided to start with something that was we think is is rather unique and is kind of a blue ocean. And that is the world of uh, tax credits. It turns out that every year the government sets aside hundreds of billions of dollars in tax credits uh, reserved for startups and small businesses. It's the type of thing that both sides of the aisle want to succeed. And yet most of these tax credits are claimed by the world's largest companies, you know, the Boeings, the Walmarts, the Amazons. Right. And the small businesses, 98% of all small businesses ignore the tax credits they're eligible for. So for our go-to-market product that we launched about two years ago, it makes it really easy for startups and small businesses to claim the tax credits they're eligible for. Claim them. We, we help them through every step of the process. 
We don't make money unless you make money. And so it's this really, I think, clever way to get deeply embedded with a startup or small business, get to know them really well, provide a ton of value, and then be in a position to grow with them as they grow to hopefully become a successful business themselves. Yeah, I love it. It's all so amazing. And hearing that, I'm like, wow, maybe that's something I need to look into. But (laughs) quick question, and maybe this is obvious. Someone like me, everything that you just said is true. Running a business is hard. Financial stuff is not my strength. And I knew that from the very beginning. The first thing that I did after I got my LLC was go out and get an accountant. So does this work for companies like that? Like, Why wouldn't it just perceive that these businesses are working with a financial professional already and that's taken care of? So that is a great question. Because when we think tax credits, and, and when I do, my first thought goes to the type of tax credits that you know I might get personally. Let's say a child mm-hmm. care tax credit. And that's really easy for the average accountant to be able to just plug in, tell you how you got it, and you're done. That is not true for business tax credits. right? I'll okay. use our most popular tax credit, the Federal Research and Development Tax Credit. You have to do a you know kind of a minute by minute study of all of the work that went on in your company, identify what was a qualified research expenditure. That means qualified wages and qualified expenses. And then run through another series of calculations. And then you have to file a special thing and then you have to file documents every quarter. So it ends up being a complicated enough process that the average accountant, even a small business accountant, doesn't really do. And they will. It sounds like a huge pain in the ass. It is a huge pain in the ass. That's exactly right. Which is why most small businesses ignore it. We're trying to make the process easier. A lot of accountants, once they get to know us, they actually love us and they refer their customers to us. Well, that is a great growth strategy. Let's dive into that because that's my favorite thing to talk about. So you've got this amazing idea that is just going to be a game changer for small businesses. And you've got a great experienced co-founding team. So now you go ahead and launch. How are you getting those first customers? And what was a growth strategy that was particularly effective for Main Street? So it's always a blend. I mean, off the bat, we consistently run ads where founders Mm -hmm. tend to be, right? So it's the LinkedIn's, the Twitter's, the Facebook's, Google, et cetera, kind of the table stakes locations. But we found that our very best customers don't come through uh, media buys, they come through referrals, whether it's the mm-hmm. referral from a fellow founder, from a venture capitalist, from an accountant. So we're really investing heavily in our referral network. You know, There's no stronger recommendation. I mean, as you know this, and I'm sure everyone listening knows this, there's no stronger recommendation than a recommendation from a friend. right? So the more we can have small business owners share this with small business owners, founders share it with founders, VCs share it to their investment and portfolio companies, the more durable that becomes. So really investing very heavily in, in the referral network. And finally, we're investing in partnerships. We have a great partnership with a company called Rippling, which is one of the you know fastest up and coming you know, HR platforms who are just like, you know, we try to partner with accountants. We're trying to partner with software platforms that are able to drive relevant traffic to us and we're able to provide them a service they can't do on their own. So we're really trying to take a pretty diversified approach to the you know, customer acquisition. But again, there's nothing more powerful authentic, organic uh, referral to drive quality traffic. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more, but I really want to push you on that because you can't get referrals if you don't have customers in the first place. So what did you do to get you know those sure. first 10, those first 100 customers in the door? Well, let's start with the first 10. You're totally right. That is the hardest. You can't just like, 
I guess you can throw out ads on LinkedIn, but you don't know you're going to target. <laughs> At that point, I'd been in the startup industry for 14 years. I started reaching out to friends and right. my network. And the nice thing about this was it wasn't a, a hard ask. It's, hey, would you like to save $50,000 this year? And we'll only charge you if you save you money. So the initial pitch <laughs> was pretty strong and uh, pretty fast. And the, actually, the pitch hasn't changed much in two years, right? Because it's we're just getting better and better at it. But we absolutely started with our personal networks, whether it was me, my co-founders, some of our early employees. And then the next wave of customers came from investors, you know, asking to tap into their network. So, you know, our first hundred, certainly, I got to say the majority of it came from truly organic referrals from our network. It's mm-hmm. a strategy that only goes so far. We don't know everyone. And after a while, you have to start investing in other things. But I would not hesitate to, again to ask my friends, hey, would you like to buy this? Can we help you help you save? Because it, it certainly worked in this in this instance. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. My second big question that really stuck out to me as you explained all that was, okay, so now you've got the customers and you said one of the strategies that is really important for us to invest in is the referrals. So how does one invest into referrals? You know, are you asking for them? Do you have a specific strategy to go about it? Communications? What does investing in sure. your referral growth look like? So in, in some ways, it's exactly that. We will we at different times in our company's life, depending on the right moments, I don't think we have this out right now. We have a paid referral. Hey, r- refer a friend, make $500, right? So in some cases, mm-hmm. we're literally putting our money where our mouth is and incentivizing customers to do this. But what we try to do in the product and really bake this in is to build moments of delight that will then be uh, natural moments for people to share and refer. For, so for example, you know, we, we help people process their taxes and tax credits. So during our first year, we when someone completed their tax credit process, we gave them a DoorDash coupon for free ice cream. And they get ice cream sent to their place. And you know, it was a nice moment of delight after completing a taxes, which no one likes. And people shared that like crazy. Like, hey, here's my free ice cream from Main Street. And I saved $60,000 at the same time, right? So that was building in those moments into the product becomes far more scalable than trying to do one-offs. Like this year, we'd send people uh, after taxes. We sent everyone a custom umbrella, a Main Street umbrella with a a notice saying it's about to rain money. You should be prepared. So all these fun little moments that really kind of pay off to create authentic moments of delight, which then provide those you know, kind of organic experience or opportunities to start making a referral. I mean, forget saving $60,000. You had me at free ice cream. I don't need to leave the house to get. Exactly. I mean, it's right there. It's a strategy for sure. And it sounds like a winning strategy. You've got me sold, but it's just so authentic. And it's just about building a relationship with your customers. And I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. No, it was fun for us to do at the time. And it's one of those fun stories I'll get to share throughout my career. Yeah. And it seems like you just keep one-upping yourself every year. Like it's <laughs> raining money. That's adorable and brilliant. And please send me an umbrella. So Doug, would you please tell me what being a startup renegade means to you? thought about this a lot and it just means that you're willing to try. I think the very fact that if you step out and start a company and you know, become a startup founder, it is all, already so rare, 
you are immediately renegade just for doing it in the first place. Like there's a, a certain mythology surrounding a startup founder. And a lot of that's overblown, but a lot of that is actually true, right? Mm-hmm. So not everyone would step out, leave a cushy job, take no salary and start something that has not existed in the world. So there's a the very nature of being a startup founder means you're ready because you're willing to try in the first place. Most people need to find that they need to try again and again and again before you have real success. I think that's my case here. I've had you know ups and small downs and small ups in my startup career. And mm-hmm. Main Street has now blown them out by orders of magnitude in terms of its its growth and, and place in the world. But the fact I was never willing to give up and always willing to start again, to take that step out, it means I belong in that uh, category of startup renegades, as does anyone who's willing to take that first step. It's that first step that is so hard. But once you get over it, you can join that kind of that crowd of, of founders who really are a, a unique breed of people. Absolutely. It's beautifully said. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Welcome to the Startup Renegade Club, my friend. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for being here. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online? Sure. So most importantly, go to MainStreet.com. See if your company qualifies for tax credits. I'll bet you do if you run a startup or small business. So it won't hurt you at all. Uh, in fact, you might end up saving a lot. So MainStreet.com. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, it's either Doug at MainStreet.com or find me at Twitter at just at Doug Ludlow. Awesome. We'll do that. Thanks, Doug. Hey, my pleasure. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade. Thank you.